This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. Back in 2019, Christian author, speaker, and counselor Joe Dallas was canceled by Amazon.com. And as Joe noted on his blog at the time, his classic book, Desires and Conflict, was one of several about overcoming homosexuality that were banned from the Amazon catalog, and all because a gay activist worked for months to achieve it. Joe said at the time, the purge is on and only the most naive will expect it to stop with us. And I think he's right about that. Now, in the midst of this mounting cancel culture against those who would speak biblical truth, what's a Christian to do? Why is this culture so hostile to us in the first place? And how do we continue to hold up biblical truth and the gospel with courage and also compassion? We're going to dive into it all today with Joe Dallas, founder of Genesis Biblical Solutions in Tustin, California, and author of the new book, Christians in a Cancel Culture, Speaking with Truth and Grace in a Hostile World. So great to welcome you back to the show, Joe. How are you? I'm doing great, Janet. Great to be talking with you again. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. What is it like to write such a great book to help so many men who are struggling with sexual identity and all of a sudden find yourself canceled? What was that like? Well, on the one hand, of course, it's sad. Uh, I felt as though uh, a, a real injustice was done to quite a few people, not just me, a number of other authors. On the other hand, these days, Janet, I got to say, it's a badge of honor. Yeah, true. I mean, uh, we, we're in pretty good company when you consider other books that have been burned or banned over the years. So I think uh, I've still got enough of the old hippie renegade in me <laughs> that uh, I, I guess there's a part of me that goes, yeah, bring it on. Yeah. In all fairness, too, the, the book was banned by Amazon, but it's still carried by so many other uh, bookstores and outlets that it's not as if they completely silenced me. But the big concern I have is, of course, the fact that what started as a localized purge has turned into a full-blown crusade in just the last couple of years. I mean, the, the, the scenario in 2019, when my book was banned, almost looks like that of a different country <laughs> than what we're dealing with in the America of 2021. Right. So that's why I wrote this new book, Christians in a Cancel Culture, because we are really just that. We are Christians attempting to continue to live the truth and to teach it and to express it in a culture that is becoming increasingly hostile, not just to the truth, but committed uh, to silencing people who express it. Yeah, you're right about that. And and you're right about the things that, you know, the way things have deteriorated over the last couple of years. And, you know, I want to go back to what actually happened to you and to others. There was a gay activist who had a petition and actively worked to get Amazon to cancel you. So this wasn't just Amazon got offended one day, was flipping through your book and said, well, I don't know if we want to carry that. It wasn't. It was a campaign against you and others. It was exactly that. Uh, I think that Amazon probably would not have cared about the content of my book, but I think they did care about the fact that a gay activist was uh, amassing a number of signatures on a petition 
And uh, I think Amazon felt that they were not uh, in a position to offend that particular segment of the population. So they basically said, we're going to throw you under the bus for the sake of appeasing people who want to silence you. But as I pointed out in that blog that uh, you mentioned earlier, my goodness, uh, Amazon may have said that my book violated their community standards and uh, that they don't want to put out inappropriate content that could be harmful to other people. But they still carry, just for example, the Turner Diaries, yep. which Timothy McVeigh used as the basic cookbook for his terrorism. 168 people's lives were lost right. because of the inspiration he drew from that book. There's the Anarchist Cookbook, <laughs> speaking of cookbooks, which actually teaches you how to make homemade uh, explosive devices. And then, uh, let's not forget Mein Kampf by Adolf Hitler himself a blueprint for the extermination of the Jewish population. Uh, now, my dangerous book was removed by Amazon. These are still available, and you can get them delivered overnight if you're a member of Prime. So you can see this extraordinary double standard. It's, uh, it's beyond funny. No, I agree with you there. You know, when you're looking at the broader problem of cancel culture as it's been manifesting itself over the past year, two years, what have you, it's obvious that Christians are in the crosshairs more and more over particular issues, homosexuality being one of them, transgenderism, abortion, the gospel itself. I mean, there there's there are attacks coming from every angle. What is your broader perspective on the spiritual problem that is going on driving what is, you know, cancel culture as we know it? That's really the issue, isn't it, Janet? Yeah. It must be. Yeah. Uh, my take on it is that we are seeing a manifestation of what has always been there. Uh, I'm reminded of something Paul told the Thessalonians, that the spirit or the mystery of iniquity is already at work, yes. he wrote, at that time now, centuries ago. He said, but, but the force or the influence that hinders it will continue to hinder it until it is removed. <laughs> Most Bible scholars I have read agree that that speaks of the Holy Spirit's influence through the Church. And as that influence diminishes, why, you'll see more free reign given to spiritual powers that are hostile to what the Word of God has to say about basic points of the human experience, the family, marriage, life within the womb, justice, the body that you have been assigned those are all the areas that uh, are subject to the most attack, and those are the areas that are getting the most pushback. Yeah. You know, you and I, Janet, are not going to get in trouble just by saying, I love Jesus. Right. No problem. We can quote Psalm 23, you know, if you win an Oscar and thank the Lord, it's not going to be controversial. But if you hold to certain biblical distinctives, distinctives that we can't compromise, things as, as basic as the definition of the family and marriage and sexuality and so forth. Uh, that's where the controversy arises. And i got to say, if I hated humanity the way Satan hates humanity, I'd do exactly what he's doing. Hmm. I would make it very hard for people to teach, disciple, express God's viewpoint on sexuality, marriage, family, commitment, social justice, the definition of God, the, the means of salvation, I would muddy up those waters as much as I could. So I think what we are seeing is a manifestation of what 
evil has always wanted to do, but is now being given more free reign to do until the Church is removed from the world and the influence of the Holy Spirit through the Church is uh, no longer operating as it as it does and as it should. Mm. Yeah, so when you talk about the restraint being removed, would you then link that to the likelihood we are in the last days or getting very close to the return of Christ? Yeah, I, I really believe that that is the case. I know, obviously, I, I can almost see some of our listeners rolling their eyes. I don't blame you. I mean, I... I started hearing about the Lord's return when I was 16 years old, back in 1971, and I realized that some people have irresponsibly said, you know, oh, Christ is going to be here by, you know, 1978 or by 1982 or what have you. I'm not trying to set dates, I'm only saying this. It's very hard not to see Christ's description of the end times in the days we're facing now, it's very hard not to see the apostasy Paul wrote to Timothy about, and that Jude wrote about, and that Peter referred to. It's hard not to see all of that in the the church environment we see today. One of the um, worst aspects of the end times is the departure from the faith of those who claim to be the faithful. Yep. It's one thing when the world is deteriorating, but when you see the church compromising on on very basic truths as much of the Church is doing today, why then you realize this This is such a massive corruption. Uh, you read the first few chapters of the book of the Revelation, and you read what Jesus had to say to the churches, and in your own mind you think, well, uh, I, I can see a Church that fits virtually every description and every rebuke that he has given here. You're so right about that, Joe. Well, we're going to pause for a short break. We'll be back with Joe Dallas, Christians in a Cancel Culture. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Hi, this is Janet Mefford, and we're partnering with the Ministry of Preborn to save babies' lives through ultrasound. Here's how a nurse describes the power of an ultrasound. Just one example of a mom who came in was very abortion-minded, and when she saw the picture of her baby on ultrasound and saw that beating heart, it was a defining moment that just broke her and she said, I just can't allow this baby to be killed for her own words. By letting a mother hear her baby's heartbeat and see her baby in her womb, she will choose life 80% of the time. I 
cannot tell you how many times a baby's life is saved through ultrasound. It's just an incredible tool. Will you help save babies' lives? For $140, you can sponsor free ultrasounds for five young women. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. You know, I think of Second Peter chapter 3, the section on the day of the Lord, where it says, Beloved, do not let this one thing escape your notice. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We have to keep in mind that we still have to be here for as long as the Lord determines in order to continue to spread the gospel and to share biblical truth with this dark and dying world. And we are talking with Joe Dallas about his great new book, Christians in a Cancel Culture. You had mentioned this before, Joe, that in the context of canceling Christians and more hostility growing in our culture against Christianity, even though we've been a very Christian friendly country for the duration of our existence, and now it's turning. uh, This is an indicator, really, and I agree with you on this, that we're getting closer and closer to the return of Christ. Now, what you're concerned about, though, in this book is being faithful to Jesus through all of this, which is so obvious, but I think it needs to be reiterated because you've outlined a lot of passages of scripture, for example, on our mandate that regardless of what the culture does, we have to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. We have to act as ambassadors for Christ. We have to contend earnestly for the faith. All of these things must be followed. We must obey the Lord regardless. What is your perspective on continuing to be faithful to Jesus Christ as we're watching the world hate us more and more. I am so glad you brought that up. Thank you, Janet, because that, I think, is one of the most important aspects of the book. You know, we have desires, and then we have mandates. There's nothing wrong with our desires. You and I desire people to come to a knowledge of the truth. We want people to be born again, but they have not been born again. If they have been born again, We want to see them walking in truth. So we want to see conversion when we speak the truth. Of course we do. That's a desire. But we have a mandate to speak the truth regardless of the outcome, because our mandate is not just predicated on the desire for people to come to the truth. It's also predicated on the fact that we are stewards of truth. We have a responsibility Mm -hmm. to live the truth, first of all, and then to be expressing it in our churches and our homes where we have our sphere of influence, and then to also prophetically be speaking it to the world, regardless of how that truth is, is received. Because when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, good grief, no, we're not going to be you know, rewarded or, or suffer loss of reward by, by the numbers of people who responded well to us. If that were the case, you'd have to say that most of the apostles blew it. (laughs) (laughs) Their reception wasn't so hot. That's not the point. The point is we have to be faithfully stewarding truth regardless. Now, that's not a hopeless situation, neither. We never know who will receive it, but we have to steward it regardless. 
Yep, exactly. Talking, you know, and it reminds me of what Paul said about watering and Apollos watered and I planted and God gave the growth. You know, it's not up to us to to have the fruit. That's that's the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Lord. And so that's not our responsibility, but we do have to be faithful. And yet this goes back to what you were touching on just a moment ago about the growing apostasy in the church and the weakening of the church. And and we're seeing this every single day. We're seeing more and more people who name the name of Jesus Christ and they're just not behaving in line with what the Bible says a Christian ought to be. There's a lot of cowardice, Joe. There are a lot of people who, I mean, not naming names, but there are a lot of people, for example, who I really admired as Bible teachers or faithful Christians in ministry maybe 20 years ago. And now they seem to be spiraling out of control in terms of what they were 20 years ago. And now they're compromising or they're they're losing their nerve or they're apostatizing. And I think that's discouraging for a lot of Christians. How do you handle that issue? Well, it's discouraging to me, too. It feels pretty demoralizing, and sometimes you wonder, now, come on. I know that I'll I'll listen to some of these teachers and think, I know you're smarter than I am. (laughs) You've been around longer than I have. You're more competent than I am. Are you really telling me that black is now gray and that gray is now white? This is silly. Uh, But I, I think what it's forcing us to do is go, okay, we're not... We're not going to try to stay consistent based on someone else's consistency. It's discouraging when people compromise. But we've got our own races to run, you know? We've got our own families to raise, our own people to deal with, our own ministries to attend to. And I don't like to be an isolationist. I mean, I'm very connected with my church, and I'm very connected to the broader body of Christ. And, you know, I'm never going to be indifferent to this type of thing. But good grief, if you let it, it's going to just drown you. Yep. with discouragement. You're so right. What I'm trying to do is keep my head above water and figure, you know, it's the old, so none go with me, so I will follow. Mm-hmm. I also have to be careful myself. I don't know if you go through this, Janet, but I don't want to get the Elijah syndrome going and think, oh my gosh, everybody's out to bail. I'm the only one left. Yep. my dog. Yep. No. <laughs> right. There's plenty of people who haven't, and I don't want to be so arrogant as to think that, you know, <laughs> there's only a few of us left, like in some act of the Christie story. Yeah, I love that you brought up Elijah, because that is a temptation, I think, from time to time, especially if you're too isolated, you begin to think that, boy, no one else is faithful but you. And, you know, none of us are as faithful oh, yeah. as we could be. I agree with you on that. I love that you said, regardless of what's going on, we have our own race to run. That is such a wise thing to say, because at the end of the day, we're not going to be standing before the Lord with a team or, you know, as far as we're going to be judged as a team and a collective. We are going to be responsible before God for what we did and how faithful we were. And that that's good because that will take you out of any kind of despair you might feel over someone else's race derailing. You know that? I mean, exactly. Yeah. I like that. I mean, look, you, you'll never see somebody in the Olympics running the race and then saying, oh, my goodness, somebody three lanes over stumbled. Well, I guess I'll give up. Yeah. Right. What the heck? <laughs> right. You're running your own race, okay? Stay in your lane, do what you need to do, be about your business. That's a good encouragement. You know, when we're talking about what is coming, a, a lot of us discuss this. Well, right now it's Joe Dallas or maybe people like Ann Polk losing their Amazon status. Their books aren't being sold on Amazon anymore, and that shocks us. Or Christians being kicked off social media or kicked off Vimeo, you know, with their videos, sermon videos. That's happened to us mm-hmm. before. You've said misrepresentation comes before mistreatment. 
And when I'm looking mm-hmm. at what happened to you, you were misrepresented. It was, again, that same oh, yeah. narrative that the, the gay community likes to put out, the activists anyway, that this is harming people and it's terrible, and it's discriminatory, all the stuff that they say. What comes after misrepresentation? Uh, being, well, you say it's mistreatment, but when does the mistreatment go to the next stage and what is the next stage, do you think? Uh, the next stage, in my opinion, is silencing, marginalization and silencing and repercussions for those who won't be silenced, whether they're criminal or civil. Uh, look, I don't want to be too quick to cry persecution. I think that people sometimes will mistakenly think that if somebody criticizes you, you're being persecuted, or if somebody scrutinizes what you said and found some faults with it, that you're being persecuted. That's not true. Right. But when you are being inhibited in your ability to exercise your basic rights of speech and freedom of religion and freedom of conscience, then, yeah, that constitutes persecution. Now, what's discouraging to me is the naivety, uh, Janet, of, of I, I'm, I'm afraid too many Christians. Those of us who are maybe feeling the heat now, maybe it's easy to distance yourself from us by saying, well, those are the, you know, whatever, the extreme right wing, or they deal with the controversial stuff, so you can have them, world, (laughs) just leave us alone. That's not going to happen. No. If your church teaches what Scripture teaches about things as basic as marriage, the sex that you've been assigned what life within the womb is, which is life within the womb, what does or does not constitute racism, whether Christ is the only way to the Father. If your church teaches those basic doctrines, you know what? You're next. Mm -hmm. Does anybody really think that the goal of cancel culture is just to cancel the most outspoken people who are on the edge? No. It's to cancel any voices that are disputing this new crusade. And Janet, here, I don't think it's a, it's a stretch to say we are in the middle of a crusade. Mm-hmm. The goal of the crusade is to convert the infidels. This time, the infidel, infidels are the theological and social conservatives. If we will not be converted, we need to be silenced. Now, that's a very broad population to silence, so you do it incrementally. Start with the ones who are the most visible or the most outspoken, and then work your way in by intimidating the broader population to realize, hey, if you speak up on marriage, sexuality, race, life within the womb, this is what you can expect, not unlike when people would, in a rather tribal fashion, uh, kill off some of their enemies and hang their heads at the uh, edge of town so other people who were going to intrude would see that as a warning. And I think that this is where too many within the Church have decided to cave and say, well, if it's going to be controversial, if we may, for example, lose our tax-exempt status, if people might come against us publicly, if people would be offended, uh, we better just avoid those topics. And, And this is where I think when our backs are against the wall, we have to take a cue from Peter and John when their backs were against the wall, and they basically said, look, you judge for yourself, is it right to obey you, or is it right to obey God? Hmm. We know where we stand. 
That's excellent. You're right, too. I, I've thought this for quite a while when you would see this happened more a few years back, but you had pastors who, for example, had some kind of counseling for people who were trying to, uh, you know, overcome their homosexual tendencies or unwanted same sex attraction. And the gay movement just went nuts. And they started outing some of these pastors' sermons and then, you know, flooding their churches with phone calls and outing them on social media and just death threats, the whole routine. And and I've always thought exactly what you said, Joe. That's the moment you stand firm because the rest of the Christians who are watching that are going to either be discouraged if you let them trample you or encouraged if you are really going to stand strong and say, I am going to stand on the foundation of God's word. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This Janet Meffer Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. So glad to have you with us and so great to have with us again, Joe Dallas, founder of Genesis Biblical Solutions in Tustin, California, and author of the book, Christians in a Cancel Culture. Joe, when you talk in your book about discussing some of these non-negotiable issues, which we've touched on, that, that it's important to stay faithful to Jesus Christ, run your own race, don't be intimidated, don't give up. Um, you have to do this, obviously, speaking truth and love, um, not dying on every hill. But one of the things, and I want to go through some of these that you mentioned in the book, obviously one of the subjects is discussing homosexuality and along with that transgenderism, this is very much a huge issue in our culture. What advice would you give to Christians on discussing these issues? They're not necessarily going to like us if we take a biblical stand, but what's some good advice for handling it? I think that we need to learn more how to reason with people, Janet. That's one of the things I stress in the book, is this is not just about preaching to people, although, my gosh, we got to share the gospel. But there's a place for doing the work of an apologist, and I think more than ever we need more people brushing up on their apologetic skills and not leave it to the so-called professional. All of us have the ability to reason with people. So I like to start with our common humanity. Uh, I'm a Bible-believing Christian who believes God created us male or female, and that his goal, his intent for the human sexual experience is that it be uh, enjoyed, exercised in the context of a covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. That's it. Now, when somebody says that makes you a hater, I don't want to talk about homosexuality in that moment. I want to talk about hate. And I like to say, is it reasonable to assume that if we disagree, I must hate you? Do you disagree with anybody? Do you disapprove of anybody? If so, does that mean you hate them? Of course not. Why then do you accuse me of hating you? See, I think that we can reason with people, and I, of course, Janet, there are people who will not be reasoned with. I get that. But, you know, even the unreasonable Pharisees, who as a group collectively were so against Jesus, There was always a Nicodemus in the crowd. There was always somebody who would come forward and say, I really would like to talk more with you about this. 
And that's not going to change. I don't care how crazy the times get. So I, I encourage people to try to reason with people about the definition of words and then reason with people based on the idea that we must be created, something created us. It seems we were created with a design in mind. Can we not at least use that as a starting point to see whether or not homosexuality really fits into that design? Okay. Yeah, that's good. And you you are really smart, I think, for drawing the distinction. Yes, there will always be people you can't reason with. You know, we have a line in my house growing up uh, that you can't talk a person out of his position with reason if he didn't arrive at it that way. And to some extent, yeah, I mean, to some extent that that you do encounter that maybe more with the activist crowd than with maybe someone, you know, who's a homosexual who lives on your street, somebody you work with, someone who's just a person that is not involved in all of the, you know, cancel culture activism. And that's important. Right. That's important, Joe, because when I look at your background or the background of a lot of Christians I know who went through a similar experience to yours, what if no one had shared the gospel with you? What if you had never understood that you're not stuck in a position of sexual immorality ever if you repent and turn to the Lord? He can transform you. I mean, that message of hope needs to continue to go out to those who will receive that. Absolutely, Janet. I've often said I wasn't nice into the kingdom of God. (laughs) I didn't convert. I didn't repent of homosexuality because somebody patted me on the head and said, I love you, Joe. That would have been very nice. But you can't see people converted to truth if there's no expressed truth that they can convert to. And you don't see any of that kind of, of, of ambiguity in the book of Acts, for heaven's sake, when Peter and John and Paul and Stephen uh, and Philip preached, they preached with clarity. You might not have liked what they said, but you know what? You'd have known what they said. There would have been no ambiguity about it. That's right. And that came from a place of deep conviction that the Word of God was true, that Jesus Christ really was raised from the dead. And it seems to me, when you talk about a lack of apologetic skills among laymen, part of the problem is I think there are many people flailing. They may not have received the kind of training that they you know, needed in order to go out and have confidence, which is why your book is so important. That I feel for a lot of people who just haven't been trained on how to do what you're telling them how to do, which is excellent. Well, what I've tried to do in the book, Janet, is to explain why each of these issues is a non-negotiable. There are negotiable issues. You know, I brought up the Lord's coming earlier in the show. Now, I know there are people who believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, some in a mid-trib rapture, some in a post-trib rapture. I'm not going to break fellowship over that. To right. me, that's a negotiable. Right. But but certain certain issues are not. And what I've tried to do is explain in each chapter why they're non-negotiable and then give sample dialogues that you can use for talking points to discuss those issues reasonably. Terrific. Now, what on the transgender issue? Because these days you can be canceled for misgendering, which I find a bit hilarious, because if anybody is misgendering, it's a man who's wanting to use the pronoun she I mean, it's, or they, which is just mm-hmm. a violation of English grammar. That drives me crazy on another level. How do you reason yeah. with, you know, unbelievers who are really solidly be- believing all of the transgender nonsense? What do you say to them? I ask if we really do have the ability to speak something into existence. I would argue that we do not. I do not have the ability to revise who I am 
based on my deep innate sense of who I am. No matter how much I believe I'm a billionaire, my bank <laughs> will tell you something entirely different. Yeah. Therefore, <laughs> what is trumps what we intuit. Okay. And this is where I point out we should have nothing but compassion for anyone who is feeling the, the misery of really believing they are trapped in the wrong body. I can't imagine what that is like. Yeah, me too. But we have to admit that the DNA is not going to change no matter what they do to their body, they will remain male or female. And that being the case, it's only reasonable to conclude that the problem is the feeling not the body of the person who has the feeling. Right. Well, and you see the explosion of people who are saying now they're transgender, they want to have hormones, they want to have mutilating surgeries. Why do you think this is just spreading like wildfire? People have raised a lot of good questions about, wait a minute, most of these people oh. never said anything about this until it, you know, Bruce Jenner appeared on the cover of Vanity Fair. Why is this catching mm-hmm. on with people when it's so irrational at, at the bottom line? You got me. I, I don't understand it myself. I cannot believe that the number of people who feel they are trapped in the wrong body has really escalated to that degree. I think for a lot of people, it's either chic to say I'm trans or I'm non-binary, or they're simply confused. And if we leave them alone, for heaven's sake, they will outgrow their confusion before they make a permanent mistake. Yes. So I, I think there's that going on. I think there's the spiritual dimension. I think there is a literally insane cultural encouragement to start disfiguring yourself, even as a child. Yes. And what I, I can't help but say how ironic that is to me, because as you know, Janet, there's this move to ban any kind of counseling to help somebody overcome homosexuality based on the idea that it is barbaric to suggest someone can become something they are not. They say, oh, you're gay, you're gay, you'll always be gay. <laughs> and yet these same people will turn right around and say, well, your DNA may always say male, but sure, we can mutilate you, castrate you, reconfigure you, because you feel you are female, you must be female. Yeah. That's one crazy double standard we got going there. It is. It's the ultimate hypocrisy. You must stay gay. You were born that way. It's impossible to change, and anybody who gives you any hope is damaging to you. But on the other hand, I can just, yeah, I mean, look at Demi Lovato, this former Disney star and singer who's popular with so many kids. Now I want to be called, you know, first she was, you know, heterosexual, then she was pansexual. Now she's non-binary and changing her pronouns. I mean, you can see from the outside, this girl needs compassion and, and maybe some counseling, but she certainly is not changing her identity every single other day. I mean, it, obviously this is irrational and it's just an emotional sort of journey she's on, but I don't know what's going on with her, but it's certainly not objective changing. It's it, We're in bizarro world, Joe. I, I, I can't wrap my head around it. We're going to take a quick break. Joe Dallas with us. We'll come back discussing his book, Christians in a Cancel Culture. Stay with us.
This is Janet Mafford. We're partnering with Bible League International to send God's word to 1,500 Bibleist believers in Africa, in many parts of countries like Kenya, Tanzania, Ghana, and Mozambique. As many as nine out of 10 Christians are denied God's word because of corrupt governments, majority religions, remoteness, and poverty. They've never been able to read 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your cares on him for he cares for you. Reading that promise of God means everything to you and me, and now it will Will mean so much to these Bibleist Christians in Africa when you respond. Here's Pastor John in Mozambique. One occasion, I found a pastor that was leading a church of 90 church members, and he was having one Bible that was starting from Exodus and ends to the Ephesians, and he was leading the church with that Bible. So when we went to give them the Bible, imagine joy. They sang, they danced, they cried, and they praised God for the gift of the Bible. $5 sends one Bible, $100 sends 20, $500 sends 100, and your gift of any size will help us meet our goal of sending 1,500 Bibles to Africa. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D, or there's an Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Actually, the, the need is great. If you could remember the other picture of a lady who was trying to show me the Bible that Pastor, I understand you work with Bible, but we don't have Bibles here. So that, that, that lady had a Bible from Exodus to the book of Hebrews. That's all. You see that? So there is a great need of Bibles. Send God's word to a Bibleist believer in Africa today for only $5. Call 800-YESWORD. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Wow, this hour has gone so fast. Every time I talk to Joe Dallas, the conversation just moves along at a great clip because he's so wonderful to talk to. Joe is founder of Genesis Biblical Solutions and author of Christians in a Cancel Culture. He knows what it's like to be canceled, and he is really giving some wonderful biblical wisdom in this book and also some practical tips, really, for having conversations with people who need to hear the truth about a lot of these non-negotiables. Joe, we talked about some of the non-negotiables regarding sexuality, homosexuality, transgenderism. Something else you mentioned in your book, which I want to touch on before we run out of time, is discussing race. Boy, is this the issue of the moment. Here we have all this woke stuff, social justice, intersectionality. A lot of people in the church are pushing this now. And there are others on the other side saying this isn't biblical and and you can't just call everybody a racist and walk away. What do you say about race? What is a good way to handle that issue? Well, let's start with what we agree on. All of us, I hope, agree that racism is evil. It's not just wrong. It's evil. It is evil to both believe and then act on the belief that one race is superior to another. And some of the greatest miseries inflicted on humanity have been inflicted because of racism in our own country as well as many others. Uh, I do not believe America is inherently racist. I don't believe it ever has been or that it is now. However, racism is a common sin, a common evil, and it needs to be resisted and called out. The problem is we have redefined what racism is. Our common understanding was that it was the belief and the practice of the belief of the superiority of one race over another. If you did not express it or act on it, then nobody had evidence with which to call you racist. Mm -hmm. Now we are saying that basically, just as with the transgender issue, if I say I'm a female, I'm a female. Now it is, if I say you're racist, lady, 
you're racist. Hmm. And if you resist by saying that, it's only proof that you're an unrepentant racist and you're in denial. Now, this is putting people in a terrible position. So it's not just about racism. It's about the whole concept of justice. The biblical concept of justice is that we are each responsible for our individual sins, not for collective sins, not for the sins of ancestors, but for our own. And uh, this is one of the reasons, of course, there's pushback, uh, and there should be, when people are basically saying an entire race of people needs to be invalidated because they are inherently racist, sight unseen, even if they have never done anything to verify they are racist. This is the antithesis of what Dr. King said he dreamed of, a day when his children would be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. So in that chapter, I do um, criticize critical race theory. I try to explain what it is, why it is, and then why it is unbiblical and how to counter it. That's excellent. I think that's very well said. And we also have to understand what's really going on here. This is a destabilizing tactic. If you can take people and make them hate each other over a bad assumption, a wrong assumption, what you're doing is putting in the Marxist framework, really, of oppressed versus oppressor, and you destroy the unity of the country, which has long been held together by these basic principles as Americans, to which we've all held uh, the founding documents that, that unite us as Americans. And maybe when you understand that and say this isn't biblical, uh, you know, that that's a really important thing for Christians to understand, to just you know, listen to people's concerns, as you say, uh, call out racism for the evil that it is, but not fall prey to some of these tactics. Something else also, Joe, I want to get to is you talk about discussing sin, salvation and progressive Christianity. Can you speak to that and share what you think Christians ought to know in that regard? Progressive Christianity, Janet, wants to nicify the Bible. It wants to remove the biblical edge when it comes to the definition of salvation, the sinful nature of humanity, and the existence of a place of judgment. And it wants to replace those with nicer ideas, like there are many ways to God. People are inherently wonderful, not sinful. And no loving God would create much less sin people to a place called hell. Now, if you remove those three elements, Janet, the exclusivity of Christ is the only way to the Father, and the the inherently sinful nature of humanity and the coming judgment, if you remove those, there is no rationale for preaching the gospel. In fact, there was no rationale for Christ going to the cross if those three uh, pillars of doctrine are are not true and are not held as solid truths. And yet today... Uh, many people are falling for what I call progressive Christianity, which is essentially uh, no Christianity at all, but a rather nice New Age philosophy baptized in Christian lingo. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right about that. And and we're hearing from that side of the aisle an awful lot of insults thrown on the to the other side. You know, white evangelicalism is racist or white nationalists mm-hmm. and Trump voters and the whole routine. And it's very divisive. But you're right. They do try to nicify to, to the extent that it's not Christianity anymore. We just have to know our Bibles better, don't we, Joe? I mean, it comes down to that. In the, in the final analysis, we need to know what God's word says. That is our sword and and that is you know our defense i mean our rock and our shield in the lord himself how can we operate in this culture without having a mastery of his word as individual christians 
Hey, look, that's our immune system. The terrible thing about AIDS is it breaks down your immune system so that diseases that otherwise wouldn't affect you do affect you. Mm. If you are biblically grounded and biblically literate, you will be immune to these heresies that are floating around. But if you're not, your immune system is broken down and you're going to fall for anything. Yeah, that's good. Well, and and when we're looking at the broader picture of cancel culture, as we've been discussing from your book, you've said the window of opportunity to openly speak truth is closing. And I agree with you on that. And nobody knows exactly how long that window will continue to be open. What do you think the best thing is for all of us to do in order to prepare for the closing of the window? I'm always cognizant of the fact you can't be blind to what you can detect all around you, that things are not getting better. They're getting worse. And what do I do when that moment where I have to make a very tough decision arises? We ought to be considering that it would seem well in advance. What what kind of advice would you have for Christians? Let's decide which hills to die on and and let's decide which basics we're going to keep investing in. The doctrines that are that I described in the book, I would argue they are all hills to die on. The definition of salvation, the nature of the family, sexuality, and justice, those are hills to die on. We don't compromise those. We don't want to deliberately create controversy around them, but we still live them and teach them we must. And we must fight for the freedom to continue to do so. But let's also decide which basics to keep investing in. Our fellowship is more important than ever, Janet. I mean, I'm, I, I know, again, this can sound paranoid, but I don't think an underground church is, is uh, such a hard thing to conceive of now. All it takes is a few Supreme Court decisions yeah. that basically decide that certain biblical teachings are dangerous to the public good, that they cause people to hurt each other, they cause emotional damage, they cause depression and suicide and so forth. Therefore, the government will now license the church. You can, of course, be a church. You can be Christian, but we will decide what you may or may not teach. Your sermon content will go through us. That's not a terrible stretch to see coming down the road. We have to be in tight enough fellowship that we decide, okay, at what point are we willing to say, forget it, government. We will form our own private churches, underground churches, indeed, be, but we'll stay closely connected. I agree. So we're going to have to decide which hills to die on and which basics to keep investing in. That's that's important. And I think being in California, Joe, you know whereof you speak, because the rest of us out here are looking at California saying, you guys are off, not you, but, you know, your, your, your you politicians right. are off the rails. There is nothing that I don't think those people would do uh, specifically for the progressive and or LGBT agenda if they could get away with it. I think they're, you know, from my perspective out here a little further east, I think it's nutty out there. And I know you know that better than anybody. Well, as I often say, it's always sunny in Sodom. We have that. (laughs) I like other than that, I agree with you. There's nothing I wouldn't put past these folks. No, that's right. What what do you expect uh, in your own state may be the next move against the church? I think the next move will have to do with privileges like tax-exempt status. I, I think that because the California Assembly has already put in place a resolution that churches should not teach what is known as conversion therapy, which is defined as the statement that homosexual expression or behavior is a sin and should be discouraged, and people can abandon that. Uh, Since that is already a resolution, not a law, the next step is to turn the resolution into a law, which will state that if you do, as a church, promote the idea that homosexuality is a sin, first you will lose your tax-exempt status, and then a number of churches will refuse and may perhaps lose their tax-exempt status. If they continue they will probably be subject to some sort of civil or criminal uh, penalty. Um, And I I 
have no doubt that that's the direction the state is going, barring an absolute miracle. Uh, give us a few more years. I think we'll be there. Well, all the more reason to check out your book, Christians in a Cancel Culture, Speaking with Truth and Grace in a Hostile World. Joe Dallas, so wonderful to talk to you again. Joe, keep on being faithful to the Lord. You've been a great encouragement to me, and I just want to thank you again for being here. Janet, thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. You're welcome. Thanks again, Joe. God bless you. Thanks for being here on Janet Meffer today. We really appreciate you tuning in each time, and we'll see you next time. This hour has been brought to you by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD.